Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody eats, right? Somebody dies, sadly. Everybody eats, you know, somebody loses their job. Everybody, anyway, you know where I'm going with that. But then that's emotional eating. Food addiction is different. Food addiction is when regardless of circumstance, you're not celebrating a daggone thing. You just need to get your fix. You crave it. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 150. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome back, veggie lovers. So happy that you are here to listen to this amazing episode with Chuck Carroll, who is the host of the popular exam room podcast from PCRM. He is so amazing. We had such a great conversation. I'm so happy that he agreed to come on my podcast. Just so you know, in this podcast, we do talk about weight loss. We talk about weight loss surgery. We talk about fast food and specific fast food. So if this is triggering for you, please know. And maybe this isn't the episode for you. But if this is something that you are interested in, we also talk about food addiction, habit forming foods, things like that. This is a topic that I'm becoming increasingly more interested in because I am trying to learn more. I'm trying to figure out how I feel about the different studies and the evidence that's coming in about how these hyperpalatable, hyperprocessed foods affect our brains and how we can develop habits around them, habits that can seem like they're almost of an addictive quality, habits that harm us and that we can't stop even when it's clearly harming us. So I really wanted to bring Chuck on the show because he is such a great speaker. He is so dynamic and he could tell us about his story. He's very candid. He's very honest. And there's a lot to learn from this episode. Before I tell you more about Chuck, I want to give a shout out to MJ. MJ left a five-star review on Amazon for my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, entitled More Joy in My Life. 
This summer, I stumbled across Dr. Yami's TED Talk, then got into her podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, which is fantastic, and then read her book. Now I'm a Dr. Yami super fan. Thank you. She gives such solid advice, but makes it so personable, accessible, and doable. And she inspired me to make more sustainable changes in my lifestyle and how I feed my kids and parent them around food. It was actually liberating and has brought more joy into my life. MJ, thank you so much for that review and for shouting out to my TED Talk and also for the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. And I hope that my content continues to help and bring more joy in your life because that's why I'm here. I really, I really want this to be a supportive, loving, compassionate place, but also a place of curiosity. Where can we learn more? that will help us in our lives, help our family, help those around us. That's what I'm here for. And also just because I'm super curious. So I'm so glad to bring you on this journey with me, this journey of health, well-being, and longevity. Just a reminder that the information on this podcast is for information on educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, please consult a health professional. Chuck Carroll. At just five foot six inches, Chuck Carroll weighed a staggering 420 pounds. His 66 inch waist was expanding rapidly courtesy of a 10,000 calorie daily diet and out of control food addiction. At one point, he did not think he was going to live to see 30 years old, but Chuck was able to lose an incredible 280 pounds and has kept the weight off for more than 10 years. Today, he weighs 140 pounds and proudly wears pants with a 32 inch waist. An NFL player nicknamed him the weight loss champion. So as I said, he is the host of the popular exam room podcast for PCRM, and he shares his story in hopes of inspiring others who feel that they are destined to remain trapped in an unhealthy body. If he has learned anything, it is that change is possible. Everyone can have the brighter and healthier future they've always wanted. Like I said, in this episode, we do talk about weight. We do talk about weight loss. We talk about food and specific foods, but I I don't want the emphasis in your brain to be about weight and weight loss, even though we spent a lot of time talking about it. Really, what I wanted to get at was this relationship with food and this food addiction that Chuck had that he struggled with for 26 years since he was very, very young. And it progressively got worse and worse and worse. And especially as I am finishing up this book called Hooked by Michael Moss, which I talk about in the podcast, if you're interested in this topic, please get that book. And if you haven't already read his first book, Salt, Sugar, and Fat, please also get that book. And I am going to be interviewing more experts, hopefully, on food addiction and talk a little bit more about this because I think there's some lessons that we can learn here. Not all of us are food addicts. There's probably a smaller percentage that get to the point where Chuck was with his food addiction. But a lot of us struggle with this confusing relationship with food and what it does to us. And I think that there's also a brain component in there, this higher brain. Like there's this primitive brain that propels us to seek out these foods. And then there's this higher brain and then they're like, fighting each other back and forth and it makes it even more confusing. So I think that there's another piece there that hopefully researchers are going to uncover that's going to help us even more. 
But I think the first step is admitting that eating a diet that is mostly processed foods is probably not going to be beneficial for the majority of us for many reasons, not just because it can harm our health, but also because it can lead to this really difficult relationship where we might feel like we can't quit, you know, just like whenever you're on cigarettes or drugs. So I know that might seem harsh and it might seem extreme to say that, but there is research and evidence that it can it can occur. So just listen with an open mind if you're interested in this topic. And like I said, I have an open mind. I am open to learning both sides of this, especially coming from the intuitive eating side, where I know that we can use our thoughts to help us. We can use this way of tuning into our body and really experiencing food and giving up restriction that can help us and we can lose this feeling that we're addicted. But I feel like maybe some of that could be a response to restriction, an emotional eating relationship, and not this other end of the spectrum, which is a food addiction. So anyway, I'm open. Let's listen to Chuck and his story and as we go through this, we'll learn more on the way. So in, in this episode, we talk about his journey. We talk about what food addiction means to him, what he thinks is the difference between food addiction and emotional eating, how his self-image has changed. We talk about shame even, which it's a little different. Um, so yeah, I think there's some really important topics that we covered in this episode. I think you're really going to like it. Give me feedback and let me know what you think. Did you like this episode or not? What did, Do you want to hear more like this? Do you want to hear more about this topic? I would love to know. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope that you really love this episode. And now let's hear from Mr. Chuck Carroll. Chuck Carroll, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. What an honor to have you here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's it's so good to have the tables turn and have you asking the questions this time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I sent you a list of questions and that was just a sham. I'm asking you totally different questions. <laughs> Ooh, curveball. All right, let's do it. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. Why are you known as the weight loss champion? Well, uh, because believe it or not, about 11 years ago, I looked completely different. I weighed 420 pounds and had a 66 inch waist and wore a size six XL shirt. And today I am 140 pounds, wear a 32 inch waist and a size small shirt. And so uh, it's been a long and winding journey that I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about uh, during the course of the conversation. But the nickname actually was given to me by an NFL player. It wasn't anything that I dubbed myself and growing up such a huge sports fan, I was like, I got to run with this just because it's such a huge honor to be given that name by an actual pro athlete that I'm just, I'm going to go with it. I mean, I love it. Do you listen to Jim Rome? I'm assuming with your sports background, you know about Jim Rome. I'm well aware of Mr. Rome. Yes, ma'am. So my husband's a huge fan. And apparently you're not supposed to ever give yourself your own nickname because that's a self-gloss. 
but you didn't have to give yourself your own nickname. But then I was, when I was thinking about the questions to ask you, then I realized I kind of started calling myself the veggie doctor by myself. So that would be a self gloss. So by his definition, it's out. So I have to wait for somebody to give me another nickname. Hopefully it'll be equally no. cool. And no, not a bad no, one, no. but it's it's too late now. I mean, you've got this whole brand going for yourself. You can't change it up now. Sorry. Uh, oh well. <laughs> but okay, it works so, for you. Yeah, it works. But I didn't. I, I I had to give it to myself. I like how somebody dubbed you the weight loss champion. That's super cool. And an NFL. Wow, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, but but see, like a champion. That's that's braggadocious to call yourself a champion. You're veggie doctor. You're just describing yourself. There's a huge difference there. Okay, I feel better now, <laughs> much better. Okay, so reading through your story, you are very candid about what you went through, and I'm really grateful for that because I am almost finished reading the book Hooked by Michael Moss. Have you read it yet? I have not. Do He's tell. the author of the book Salt, Sugar, Fat. And so he wrote that one several years ago, basically talking about how the food industry is spending all of these millions and millions of dollars making the food addictive, basically. <laughs> you know, like mm, yeah. they, they get it to the point where it's called this bliss point. They get volunteers and they do all these studies so that they get to the point where it's almost impossible for us to stop eating these foods. And so now he's written a follow-up book called Hooked and how really, if you look at it chemically, if you look at studies, that food is habit forming just as much as cigarettes, cocaine, heroin, crack, those kinds of things. And so I'm, I'm really grateful that you tell your story because you're not the only one that has been through this. And you say that at one point you were eating over 10,000 calories a day. Can you go into why do you think you got to the point? Do you feel like your body actually needed 10,000 calories a day? Or what was your motivation? What was your drive to go out and get this much food? Well, I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, my body certainly did not need 10,000 calories a day, but my brain was telling me that it certainly did. Um, and so Hooked, I think, is actually the perfect title because I was hooked on this. Just as you said, somebody could be hooked on drugs or on smoking. You, you said cigarettes. I mean, it was 10 times easier for me to quit smoking than it was for me to ultimately change my eating habits. It was just so daggone difficult and, and went through hell and, and back just to be able to do that. But the, the seeds for all of that got planted at a very early age growing up in Southern Virginia in the Tidewater area, Norfolk, Virginia. And after school, my brother and I would always go to our grandma's house where she would fix us food. Um, and she would say, grandma loves to watch her boys eat. And boy, she fed us. I mean, whether it was macaroni and cheese and baked beans, which qualify as a vegetable, uh, or, you know, hot dogs, fried bologna sandwiches, bacon, whatever the case may be, that was what she was feeding us exclusively on white bread, nay, a vegetable to be found, save the baked beans or the occasional can of cream corn. But everything that she fixed on top of the stove, though, was also cooked in bacon grease. And it didn't matter whether it was uh, the fried bologna, bacon itself. Uh, she could be making a pot of coffee. I swear she would put a scoop of bacon grease on this. 
and it you know she had this little jar that just sat there all the time and when she was done cooking she would pour the grease right back into the jar so she had this endless supply and so right there you've got your fat and your salt and then on top of that whatever sugar you're getting for the day so you grow up eating that and then of course you and I both know that school lunches being the gems that they are are not the healthiest things in the world and then after that, so you've got the school lunch, you've got lunch version two at grandma's house, and then mom would come to pick my brother and I up after she was done working, single mother, and we would go to the drive through because there just wasn't a lot of time in the day. She was so tired. So by the time I was like in third grade, I was already eating uh, Burger King specifically, a double cheeseburger combo meal, the biggest size that they had with an orange drink, ketchup only on that double cheeseburger sometimes put bacon on it. But for a third grader, that's an awful lot of food. And uh, I was well over a hundred pounds at a very early age. And that's just the, the, the compulsion to eat just grew and grew and grew and grew until eventually I got up to those 10,000 calories a day by the time I was in my early 20s. At what point did you realize, or maybe you were told, when was the earliest instance you remember that things weren't right? Either about your body size or about what you were consuming and the health of your body. When did, when did that realization come about? Oh, I knew I wasn't healthy at a very early age. Um, we had this program in elementary school, what they called Identikit. And that's when police would come in and they would give us like these little ID cards. They look like driver's licenses into like an elementary school kid. You know, we thought it was so cool. You know, here, I got my license. Um, but what they did was they would come in, they would take your height, their weight, take your picture and put this on a card in case you ever got lost. You could just hand it to somebody and they would have the record uh, of you on file as well in case an officer found you. So but I remember stepping on the scale and uh, the first time that I realized that I was over a hundred pounds again in, in third grade or second grade even, and just being mortified and telling the officer, I was like, I got to go on a diet. So here I am, you know, this little kid already recognizing that I'm in bad shape. And part of it was I'm embarrassed that I'm a lot larger than my friends. And the other part of me is knowing that I'm certainly not eating my fruits and vegetables and I got to make some changes. Um, and, and that just grew as well over time, you know, these, these realizations that you are kind of in bad shape. And then the first real health wake up call I got was, um, probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school when I was put on high blood pressure medication, because mm. it was already 180, 190 over a hundred. Um, and sometimes I would flirt with 200 and, um, you know, it, it almost became a game to me because, I wanted to see how high I could get it, and um, but it's a stupid game that teenagers play. You can't truly grasp the ramifications, but it was kind of my little secret that I was on beta blockers at such a young age when, you know, all of my peers, their parents were taking blood pressure medication, not them, but I, I beat them to it by 30 years. Wow. When is the earliest you remember going on a diet or, or trying to restrict yourself in any way? Ooh, um, probably uh eighth eighth or ninth grade um i had started wrestling and um i was already <laughs> oh my gosh i was already too heavy for heavyweight and so um having to cut weight just so i could get on the mat 
was uh, really kind of a, an eye-opener. Um, the cutoff there was 265, maybe 275, um, but I was well over that. And so I remember specifically before this meet um, in the summer, uh, I was outside, two sweatpants, parka, sweatshirt underneath of that, July, Virginia heat, just running up and down the bleachers trying to cut weight. Um, and that was the first time that I remember specifically really trying hard to lose weight, but that wasn't even the weight that you want to lose. I mean, that was yeah. completely water weight, completely unhealthy. That was as unhealthy as the 10,000 calories I was going to eat every day in just a few years after that. So, um, that was it. And, and I remember slimming down and, and, and feeling a little bit better about myself because I did ultimately make the weight. Um, but it came pouring back on and, and it just never really stuck. And then the yo-yo dieting probably started, um, when I was in my late teens, early, early twenties, that's when the gimmick program started to, to creep in there. None of which were actually worth a lick. Yeah. So you had this lifestyle where it was just super hyper palatable food and that's how you were eating since you were so little that's what your taste buds knew that's what seemed normal to you because your grandma you know she loves you that's how she's going to feed you right it seemed like love it seemed normal but then at the other extreme you're trying to lose weight to make the weight class and then you're doing this extreme sweating or who knows what else you tried did you try anything else? Like, did you do like starvation or anything weird or? Yeah. I mean, you cut out the the food a, a day or two ahead of time um, when you know that you have a significant amount of weight to lose. But, you know, in all honesty, you can only lose like a pound of fat or two pounds of fat, yeah. you know, in such a no short amount what. of time. Yeah. The rest of it has to be water weight if you're cutting in a hurry. Yeah. And so you have these two extremes. When do you remember the earliest time that you were told anything about what the healthy way to eat was? Did you, were you aware early on? I mean, it sounded like you were, that you should eat more fruits and vegetables and you weren't, but how, how soon did it get formulated in your head what a healthy diet should look like? Well, here's the interesting thing is that my mom would try to improve her diet and subsequently force it on us kids uh, at a young age from time to time. And all of those efforts were very short lived. But I remember being in the sixth grade and calling up my father. Uh, who was living in New York at the time. And I was like, dad, mom is trying to feed us bird seed. Why? Because she's giving us quinoa and millet for dinner. And the only thing that I knew of quinoa and millet was that they came in bird seed that was sold in the, in the store. So I was like, what in the heck is going on right now? Um, but so that's when I got introduced to the idea of whole grains, but at that age, it was in one ear and out the other. And as quickly as that stuff came into the house, it was gone and then forgotten about until years later, um, when I really got a hyper focus on it. So the idea of healthy eating was also planted very early, but it was greatly outweighed by that daggone bacon grease. Yeah. When I can imagine the struggle you went through and only the only reason I can imagine this is because I've been through it myself as well, that pull towards these hyper palatable foods, you're pulling towards, you have this idealized version of, I, I, I would like to be healthy and I do wanna be healthy, but this is pulling more. And so it's this constant struggle back and forth and that's really hard to you or hard for you. So when did you realize that you had an addictive relationship with food. Cause it seems like even though you were struggling with this for many years, it took a while to finally make the realization, okay, 
I think I have a problem. It was one defining moment uh, when I was 24 years old. I was working at a radio station in Washington, D.C., uh, ironically, WBIG, Big 100.3. And uh, it was it was my first real big break in radio. I was one of those wacky morning sidekicks. And this company called The Cookie Diet came in and was looking for someone to endorse their product. So of course, I seemed like a natural fit. We'll have him go on The Cookie Diet and talk about it on commercials and he'll do endorsements. And then everybody goes on The Cookie Diet and loses weight. So that was it in theory. But the problem with the cookie diet was that it was the worst fad diet in the history of diets. It was essentially, you know, two sponges that you would have on your kitchen sink with a sprinkle of cinnamon and one raisin in there. And you would eat one for breakfast and you would eat one for lunch and drink a whole bunch of water with it. And that's supposed to carry you over until dinner when you would eat this ambiguous, sensible dinner. They just said, make sure that you have fruits and vegetables. Okay, everything else was free reign. Well, I tried really, really, really hard to be good uh, for the first part because I was being paid to do this, right? And this was my first big break. I, I didn't want to screw it up. But the first day, I did okay. You know, I, I didn't cheat. The cravings weren't too terribly bad. There was a lot of excitement beyond this because I knew that it was going to get a big push. And again, I was being paid for it. Um... But day two, something started to happen. I started to feel a little bit sick, kind of like I was coming down with something. And I also recognized that I was getting really irritable pretty quickly. The fuse went from usually being pretty long to being pretty short. Day three, I was full-blown sick, like um, in my bed sick having cold sweats kind of sick. And I was like, what in the world is going on right now? And I, I remember just having this fuse that I didn't even have a fuse. It was like, if you got in front of me, you didn't even have to open your mouth. I was going to bite your head off. So having barked at uh, my brother at that point uh, and everybody in the family being witness to it, uh, they knew just to let me be. So everybody stayed upstairs and I was in my basement room uh, at, at that point, just in my bed under the covers, just freaking out with this Jekyll and Hyde personality situation and the illness. But I got so angry because all I could focus on was going to Taco Bell. Because until this point, I was eating $20 worth of Taco Bell every single day. And I have the order memorized to this day in my mind. And every single day without fail, I would go through the drive-thru, sometimes twice a day. But all I could think about was getting that Taco Bell. And I wasn't getting it. So by day three, when I'm in full-blown withdrawal, I mean, you can call this detox. I call it withdrawal. I was angry and I got up out of bed. I just was at my breaking point And I remember punching my fist through a wall. And then when that didn't settle me down, I pulled my fist out of the wall and I put it through a door. And I was still angry, but I was still hell-bent on being good on this cookie diet. So... I waited until everybody went to sleep and I just could not take it anymore. I snuck out the back door, went to the drive-thru, found the 24-hour Taco Bell, placed my $20 order, came back, snuck into the house so as not to wake anybody up, sat down and polished every single morsel of that Taco Bell off. But it was the first bite that really made me recognize that I had an addiction to food because 
I bit into this seven layer burrito and I felt this warm rush of emotion just wash over me. It was like a sense of calm and a tingling that came with it. It was really strange. And then it hit me like, holy crap, I am hooked on this stuff. And so as I ate, I actually started to cry. You know, I had tears streaming down my face, recognizing like I have a real serious problem now. I can't kick Taco Bell. What in the heck is wrong with me? Wow. I mean, it's incredible. I can, I can feel the sensations going through your body. And it really does sound to me like you were going through a full-blown withdrawal period. And that dopamine you created ahead of time when you finally decided, I'm going to go get it. I'm, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to go get it. You had built it up so high that you took that first bite. And you had that drug-like reaction, like if you were shooting up, you know, yeah. you felt that and through your whole body, but you didn't want to do it. Deep down inside, you didn't really want to have to do that. Nope. In one of your nope. blog posts, you wrote, I could say I was eating my feelings away, but the truth is I was woefully addicted to food. And I found that profound because I think a lot of us probably think, that addiction is emotional. So tell me, what do you think is the difference between emotional eating and food addiction? Everybody is susceptible to emotional eating. If you have a bad day, you reach for a piece of chocolate or you reward yourself with some sort of a sugary sweet to make yourself feel better temporarily, right? That's emotional eating. That is used to comfort the pain, mask it. And you can even eat to celebrate. I mean, that's just kind of what we do as a culture here in America is like we eat regardless, you know, if somebody's born, we eat, somebody gets married, we eat, somebody gets an A on their test, everybody goes out to dinner, everybody eats, right? Somebody dies, sadly, everybody eats, you know, somebody loses their job, everybody, anyway, you know where I'm going with that. But then that's emotional eating. Food addiction is different. Food addiction is when regardless of circumstance. You're not celebrating a daggone thing. You just need to get your fix. You crave it. If you were, I mean, I was also a smoker. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day and it was the almost identical craving to get the food as it was to light up with a cigarette. And oftentimes it was way more intense, just like day three without Taco Bell. You know, that craving was way more intense than any craving I ever had for any cigarette in my life. So that is the difference be uh, between the two. Wow. I, I think that that's so profound that you figured that out yourself and you're able to distinguish it because there is a difference and it's something that I'm just now starting to realize. Um, I think it is because, like you said, everybody eats emotionally. Like we've all had overindulged at Thanksgiving and that's emotional eating. Like you're just like, hey, it's a holiday, let's have fun. You know, that's emotional eating. And I think because some of us through restriction have more of that pull to food and maybe overeat, we think maybe that's food addiction, but it's not. I, I think I'm seeing the difference now between these different levels. It's like a spectrum, you know, like most humans are probably going to be emotional overeaters, but probably not most humans are going to get to this extreme level of food addiction that some people are susceptible to. What's really interesting that you just said that he was talking about Michael Moss in this book, Hooked, 
is that one of the factors of what can become addictive is the speed that it can be delivered to your brain. Food gets there faster than cigarettes. Wow. So, you know, by the time you take a drag and it actually gets to your bloodstream and you feel the effects, it's way slower than food. And so and that's what you're saying right now is that, yeah, I smoked, I was able to quit, but it was the food that was like, I need that fixed. You know, I need that in me. I need to feel that effect. Yep. Okay. So let's switch gears. Uh, you posted a picture on social media yesterday with your old pair of pants and your new pair of pants. And I was just scrolling through and I thought it was kid pants. I thought it was like kid, like a little kid pants next to adult pants. But this is like your regular size pants you wear now. So it's like a huge difference. What is it like going from somebody that was in a larger body for so long to somebody now that you wear a size small? So you're technically like on the smaller end of the spectrum when it comes to body size. It's been less than the rest of your life. Do you feel like you see yourself that way now? I know that some people talk about when they had a larger body and then they went to a smaller body, they still had trouble feeling like they were in that smaller body. What is your self-image like now? It used to be that I still felt 100% like the old me, the 420 pound me. But now um, I'm, I kind of, that part is still very much there. Um, but I am now very much aware also that I'm in a smaller frame and mm -hmm. that makes me so much happier because I know that I'm so much healthier and every single day when I wake up, I still feel like it's brand new. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. And now for a very important message. Hey, veggie lover. If you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all. And don't forget to share with friends and family. 
dryami.com forward slash free. And now back to the episode. So while I'm able to identify with the new me that's now a decade old, um, it's it's still you know really really new and fresh and fun for me. But I will never ever ever forget also what it was like to be so overweight and so unhealthy because I I lean on that guy still very much to help uh, reinforce what it is that I'm doing today. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he's 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 still in there, but he's actually cheering me on to keep him away, keep him in the closet. He doesn't want to come back. He's so proud of where I am today that he is my biggest fan. He is my biggest support. He is my biggest cheerleader. So he and I are actually thick as thieves. We're really tight. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I identify greatly with version 1.0. But, man, uh, I, I'm here in version 2.0 and I'm loving every second of it. Mm-hmm. So you just use the memory of that old you to keep you forging forward on your path, not to deviate from your path. I think that's a really smart way to do it. How about your body image? Do you struggle with that at all at this point? Um, sometimes. Um, there are days, honestly, when I think, well, did I lose too much weight? Um, and then the other thing that a lot of people who lose an excess amount of weight go through is... Uh, what do you do with all of this extra skin? I never had it removed. So um, I have quite a bit on me that, you know, luckily is just conveniently tucked in, in you know, areas of my body where, you know, the majority of people won't see. Um, so if there is a body image issue now, it's it's going to be that extra skin. Um, but I, I also want to say this regarding that, because I get asked so much about the skin. Um, especially from people who are about to try to lose weight themselves. Um, And that is, I used the knowledge that I was going to have extra skin after losing weight. I used to use that as an excuse not to lose weight. Mm -hmm. So I I, I told myself I would rather be unhealthy than have to deal with this extra skin. And I got to tell you, like, even though it's not the most pleasant thought in the world, it's nothing compared to being overweight and unhealthy. And if anything, like it's a badge of honor, like look at how far I've come. All I have to do when I'm in the shower is just, you know, take a look down at my belly and realize, holy moly, I used to fill up this balloon. It looks like a deflated balloon. I could do 10 million sit-ups, Dr. Yami, and I will never have a visible six pack. This is just the reality that I'm living in, but I could not be happier. Yeah. Uh, I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people do struggle with that. But another analogy to that would be childbirth. You know, there's a lot of women that they want to have babies. That's something they want to do. And it changes our bodies. And some people afterwards have deflated tummies and deflated breasts. Your breasts change forever. But we would never go back and say, I don't want to have those kids, you know? So sometimes it's, you know, the journey can be rough on our bodies, but in the end, we end up happy where we are. So I think it's really important to um, point that out. All right. So in one of your blog posts, the one where you're talking about going up the stairs and taking the stairs, you wrote that shame was helpful for you in making changes in your life. But you also talked about a Taco Bell incident. So Taco Bell comes up a lot in your story. <laughs> Taco Bell's in my story too, <laughs> by the way. But anyway, so you had a Taco Bell incident incident that really stung and hit you. 
and you actually stopped going to Taco Bell. So you kind of redirected your food to other places. Um, and, and at that point, it didn't seem like it triggered a behavior change, but I'd like to know more about that. Tell me about shame and how you feel it has been helpful and not helpful to you in your, in your life story and some of the changes that you made. All right. A couple things about shame is that if you are not ready to change, shame is going to suck. It is going to sting. It is going to make you feel like the gum on the bottom of your shoe. All right. It's shame is going to make you want to climb into a hole never to be seen or found or heard from again. So at the time when I was not ready to change or I thought that I would never be able to, it, it was just like being punched in the gut. Like it just sucks so much. But after I decided that I was ready to make this change and, and, and make it a lasting change forever, I would think back to how I felt then and use that as motivation to continue down this healthier path because I did not want to go back. I did not want to feel that way anymore. So what became a negative, uh, I was able to turn into a positive. Are there better ways to to motivate yourself than than having to you know relive some shame? Absolutely. And and odds are that they're they're healthier. But nonetheless, if you're significantly overweight there's a very good chance that at some point you have been shamed yourself. So I just, you know, to use that old analogy, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. That's essentially what I was doing with that shame there. Mm -hmm. But some of the worst shame I ever felt, you were talking about this Taco Bell incident. And this was, um, they knew me by name at this Taco Bell. I mean, they would just see my car coming and they would know. I didn't even have to get to the menu board before they had it ordered for me. And they were like, hey, Chuck, you know, $20 your order, you know, come on through. And I was like, cool, you know. And um, But this one day I pulled up there and on instead of hearing, hi, Chuck, what I heard was, you eat too much. Yeah. So the person who was supposed to be taking the order told me that I ate too much and I was embarrassed. You want to talk about a shade of red? I mean, I was beyond beet red. I was just all kinds of red. And I got to the window and I just, I had this excuse that I had been planning for years because I knew eventually I was going to get called on, you know, ordering so much food every single day. And that was, no, this isn't for me. This is for all the guys in the office. We all just really like the same thing every day. And of course they knew I was full of it and I knew that I was full of it, but I did my best to hide it just to get through that uncomfortable situation. And yeah, that was the last time that I went to that Taco Bell. I just then drove another couple of miles down the road and started patronizing another Taco Bell to continuing uh, to continue getting my fix. Oh, I see. So you just change Taco Bell so that different people will see you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's hard. I can't even imagine what that feels like, you know? And do you it feel sucked. like there was a part of you that you're like, yeah, I know. I, I tell this to myself, but I can't stop. You know, like the different emotions you were having inside. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I knew that she was dead on right, but I still don't think it was necessarily her place to make that remark. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I absolutely knew. And that's why I had that story armed and at the ready. Mm -hmm. But I never thought in a million years it would be that particular crew that said this to me because 
I was so ashamed by this and I just wanted so badly to not be judged by them that because I was working in radio, I had access to all kinds of like free tickets to concerts and stuff. So I would like give them this stuff, you know, hoping that they would not judge me and they would be cool with me and we could be friends and it wouldn't be an embarrassing situation when I got my daily fix. So I had given these people, you know, tickets and CDs and t-shirts and all kinds of swag and still they railroaded me with this particular comment. So yeah, it just stunk. Yeah, that's rough. And ironically, you were doing what this company would want you to do, right? <laughs> so it's like, now my mind is thinking this way of like, they've designed this food. They have put the ingredients in this food specifically to make it so craveable that people want it every day over and over. So you were kind of like the star customer. So I, that's the irony of the situation where they're like, you eat too much of our food. <laughs> Which I was is keeping ironic. them employed. Are you yeah. kidding me? So eventually you went on to have weight loss surgery. So tell me about that, how that came about and how you think that was helpful for you. That came about when I was 26 and my health had really deteriorated by that point because I'm at my heaviest weight, 420, and I couldn't walk more than 10 feet without my chest beginning to tighten up and all the color draining from my face and I would just start sweating profusely. And we hear that analogy, it feels like an elephant is sitting on my chest. And that is exactly what it felt like. And I knew that it wasn't from cigarettes because by this point I had actually stopped smoking. Mm. So I, I was like, this is my heart. And this is a direct uh, correlation with my diet, with my lifestyle. Something has to change because my grandfather on my father's side uh, died before I was even born from a series of heart attacks. Mm. Uh, on my mother's side, her mother had had a number of heart attacks and uh, needed uh, open heart surgery, a quadruple bypass. Um, and so I knew that that was the route that I was going down. My own father was beginning to have issues with his heart. And so I was on the accelerated plan to bad heart health because of my weight, because of my food addiction. And I did not think that I was going to live to see 30 years old. So that strong realization uh, and, and realizing that, holy crap, I've got bad ticker in my jeans and I'm doing absolutely nothing to help it and everything to hurt it. That, that was the wake up call uh, that really got me going in that direction, along with a couple of, you know, emotional things like a girlfriend who didn't want to uh, acknowledge the fact that we were dating in public. And mm -hmm. I had friends who were so concerned by my size at that point that they tried to organize an intervention for me. Um, so those three things really combined to um, help me reach my breaking point, even though I really hated all three of them so strongly for such different reasons. Um, I made the decision um, out of desperation to have uh, weight loss surgery um, because my father had had it and his wife had had it, both of which um, they, they lost a significant amount of weight um, and, and began to put it back on by this point as well. I had had another friend who had had it. Um, she too had put a significant amount of weight back on, but I thought this is my one chance, my final chance. It will buy me a few years. And then at least I can say I've gone to my grave having tried everything. So yeah. 
it was really out of a desperation to even just see a few more trips around the sun that drove me to have that. But it seems like it was your ticket because you like something flipped because once you had that surgery, then you became this health nut. <laughs> so you were actually known <laughs> as like the health nut, right? So what yeah. do you, what happened in your mind? Because even before you had the surgery, you had commented that you weren't really sure if it was going to work anyway, but you were going to try it. So what, yeah. what flipped inside of you? I, I just remember waking up and, and feeling like something has to change. I, I can't go back one because I felt like crap. They did not do my surgery laparoscopically to this day. I have a big old scar on my belly where they opened me up. Um, and so I, I literally felt like I was hit by a truck and was kind of immobile, uh, for a couple of days. Um, but then beyond that, it was just like the realization, if I'm willing to do something so drastic, so radical to make a change, why in the world would I ever not make that a lasting change? Why would I want to go back to the way that I was? And I let that marinate for the 48 hours that they kept me in the hospital. And then when I was discharged that very day, I got home, I'm in bed, I take a nap, and then I wake up. And I remember the first thing that I saw was this cup of black coffee, just black coffee from McDonald's sitting by my bedside that my father and stepmother had brought me. And I just got so angry, not at the coffee, but at the McDonald's logo, mm. the golden arches. It was like that switch got flipped and fast food had become the enemy to me. I already knew that I was an addict and I wanted nothing to do with putting that garbage back in my body. So I am as serious as the day is long right now when I tell you that I was as angry when I saw those arches as I was the night when I was going through detox and put my fist through the wall. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with this. And I wondered how anybody who had gone through the same procedure would want to go back to Taco Bell. And it was kind of heartbreaking that it happened to be a member of my own family as well who was doing this. But it was that moment that I was like, I am never going back. Get these damn arches out of my face right now. Wow. Wow. And I can see it in your face. I think anger in these situations can be super helpful. You know, and I think that's why a book like Hooked might help a lot of people is because when we see these institutions, we see these corporations in a different light, we understand what's happening to us chemically. It does incite anger, you know, and you're probably thinking, I'm not going to contribute to the same thing that's brought me to this state anymore. So mm -hmm. I love that you experienced anger at that point, because I think that that was a really important part of keeping you on that road to recovery huge so then you actually were doing more of an a healthy omnivorous diet for a while when mm -hmm. did you discover plant-based nutrition when did that come about my first soiree into it uh was actually through the physicians committee when i was still that healthy omnivorous guy i'll put healthy in quotes there um <laughs> And, and they approached, um, the NFL player who gave me the weight loss champion nickname, uh, and I, um, about doing a, a PSA for them. They were doing this campaign called teaming up for health, where they had athletes, um, and, and sports personalities 
talk about making healthy changes to diets. And so even though neither one of us were vegan, um, they decided to include us in that. So that was the first time that I really learned about plant-based eating. And I kind of tucked that away. And then a couple of years later, I was interviewing this professional wrestler uh, by the name of Austin Aries for CBS, where I was working at the time. And he had just released this book about his own experience eating a plant-based diet and how much credit he gives that to uh, the success that he's had in his career. I mean, if this guy is eating nothing but plants, no meat, no dairy, no eggs, but he's able to reach the top stage in sports entertainment, he was able to wrestle at WrestleMania, clearly Austin Aries is onto something. So I started to do some investigating. I watched the documentaries that he had recommended. And I was like, oh my God, you know, suddenly I don't have to worry about the weight coming back on. That's when I was not only introduced to the idea of plant-based eating, but also uh, caloric density and nutrient density and all of these healthy things, the micronutrients, the macronutrients. It suddenly became so much more than just fat and calories. And I really got excited by that because then it became more than just a weight loss journey. It became an overall health journey. And I learned about all the benefits that came with it. And so um, it was like five, six years or so after I had lost all of that weight that I, I made that decision to go plant-based. But I am so grateful that I had that interview with Austin uh, because without that day, without that conversation, you and I would never be talking right now. And there would still be a big part of me who would be worried that, I would probably go back to eating the way that I was, even though I was still so anti-fast food. Yeah. But your body changed after you went plant-based, right? You even lost more weight? Oh, yeah. I thought that I was doing quite well at uh, 160, 155, even 170. Um, but I I was very fluffy and um, carrying around all of this extra weight that I, I didn't realize that I still had. Um, and so when I went plant-based, you know, it only took a few months, uh, for all of that to come off. Um, as soon as I cut dairy out, really, that was, that was the big thing that just took, uh, all the weight right off. Um, mm -hmm. and so today I'm, you know, light and lean and happy and healthy at 140. And I just, I feel fantastic. That's awesome. And I know you've been asked this before, but I want to ask it again, when it comes to the decision to have weight loss surgery, now that you know about plant-based nutrition, going back to where you were, the same place you were at 26 years old, would you have made a different decision knowing what you know now? I don't know. And that is the God's honest answer. Uh, because we can play hypotheticals all day, um, but I, I didn't know. And so I do not regret this decision whatsoever. Um, I wish that I knew, but what I do know is that it would have taken, in my particular case, more than just me making up my mind to eat a plant-based diet. Mm -hmm. It would have taken this group, this army of, uh, health coaches, doctors, medical supervision to get the job done because of the level of my addiction. I would have needed inpatient care to make that happen. I am convinced. Otherwise, you would have had other clandestine midnight missions to Taco Bell uh, just to, to get my fix. You know, I honestly view that detox 
very similarly to somebody who is trying to kick a drug habit. Mm-hmm. The the calling is so daggone strong. And I hate to compare fast food to heroin or anything like that, because in some ways that's not a fair comparison, but I can tell you that it is a strong pull and that is all you can focus on. And so without all of that help, I'm not sure that I would have been able to do it. The thing that the surgery did for me was that it forced me to go through that detox because you have this three to six month window where you can't eat fast food, the high calorie, high fat foods without getting super, super, super violently ill, the kind of sick that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. You just kind of want to die at that point because you're so nauseous and the room will literally spin on you. Mm -hmm. And so you're forced to go through this detox. But then at the end of that, you really can make a decision. Like, do you want to go back to the way that you were eating or do you want to continue down this healthier path? And for me, I definitely chose to make that healthier path because I got lucky enough to have taken an interest in nutrition on my own. But with without that army of doctors, Dr. Yami, I'm not sure honestly, that I would have been able to do it on my own, even though I've seen so many other people do it and I'm so proud of them. I can't say for certain that I would have been able to do it myself. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it's important to lay out why it was helpful to you. I think before you even had this surgery and you were kind of like, okay, I'm doing something pretty extreme. I want to make this count, but then waking up angry at the institutions that caused you to get there. I think that was really helpful. Plus this time where you had a physical, a mechanical barrier to overeating and getting, you know, over full and feeling sick. And so that almost creates an aversive quality to it too. I think all of those factors together probably helped you. And yeah, who knows? It's all hypothetical, right? But I think what makes me feel happy is that you don't regret it, that you feel like this was an important part of your journey and you're owning it. And you're saying, you know what? I needed this. This was part of my recovery. So as part of my rehab, I needed to do that. And I'm glad you're in a better place and that you're doing so much good in the world. I just, I love everything that you do. And now for a very important message. Hey mama, if you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, 
troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating, and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children, how exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. So let's, let's shift a little bit to others. Since you have this experience, you've been on both sides of this, losing and maintaining a 275 pound weight loss is, is really hard, you know, um, losing it is hard, but then maintaining it is even harder. So what goes through your mind whenever you see other people that are struggling with this? My heart goes out to them. I want to give them a hug and I just, I want to pull them aside and tell them all about my story and just unsolicited, but I don't. Um, because if you approach somebody who's in that position um, and you come hard at them with that kind of change, that kind of story, even though it's being met with the, with the best intention, um, it's probably going to backfire. Mm-hmm. So um, you just kind of wait and you wait for them to come to you. And so when I see them, it's really just this thought that I really hope one day they reach a point when they are ready to change and make a change for good and they see the light. And as soon as they see it, man, I will be the best Sherpa that they will ever have. I will do everything in my power to help them succeed um, and, and tell them all about my story. And I just have so much compassion for them. And and I pray that they will wake up one day and realize that they are likely hooked on food the mm-hmm. same way that I was, the same way that so many millions of us are around the world. And they just have this epiphany that they are literally killing themselves slowly with every single meal that they eat. And I just, my heart goes out to them. Um, and I just, I'm waiting for that light bulb to go off. And as soon as it does, I mean, I will help them until I can't help anymore. Yeah. Well, I think since you've been there, you are able to have so much empathy because you know exactly what it feels like. You know what it feels like, not just to have a larger body in the society and the bias and the discrimination, but you know what it feels like to have this relationship with food, you know, this addictive relationship with food. So you can have compassion for people that are struggling with this. You know, earlier you said that you didn't think it was a fair comparison, food addiction to heroin and and those kinds of things. And I think we're getting some evidence that it, it probably is a fair comparison. And in some ways, food is more socially acceptable. Like, Whenever you were a kid, you were being fed these things and nobody was telling your mom you're giving them heroin and crack, you know? <laughs> it was just like you're feeding your kids. And and I, I do believe that everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. So I don't blame any moms out there for their choices, especially those of us who were raised in this latchkey generation. It was tough, microwave dinners, microwave burritos, cereal that's all there was you know um so i think we are doing the best we can but we're just now starting to realize the power that these foods have over us that are drug-like and are habit forming 
but are also socially acceptable. So it's not like most of us probably aren't going to go get heroin. You know, we know that that's probably something we shouldn't do, but it's, we can just go to the Taco Bell down the street, you know? So, so it is something to think about. You said earlier that quitting smoking was easier than your food, you know, trying to give up your food addiction. How long did it take you to quit smoking and why did you decide to quit smoking? Mm, Only took a couple of attempts, really. I had only started smoking because I wanted to have one of those deep, nice, bassy voices for the radio. <laughs> I wanted to be one of those DJs. This is the God's honest answer. So, um, yeah, I, I, was, I smoked as much as I could, as quickly as I could, as soon as I started working in radio. Um, but, uh, you know, I came to the realization that that was pretty stupid. So um, even though I, I got up to two packs a day pretty quickly... Um, it only took two attempts to to quit. And um, the second time, I wasn't even planning to quit. I had just gotten bronchitis. Shocker. And um, and I, I couldn't smoke. I felt like, you know, my lungs were kind of underwater. So I didn't smoke for a couple of days. And then when uh, the, the sickness began to clear, I just decided I've gone this far without it. I don't need them now. And so I gave that carton that I had left over to a buddy of mine and uh, let him polish him off. But mind you, this was a heck of a gift because I used to get my cigarettes imported from Russia. Um, you know, but that's a whole, that's a whole other story. I became a cigarette aficionado, but um, it was, it was just so much easier to say goodbye to those than it ever was ever, ever, ever was to say goodbye to Taco Bell. Yeah. Well, cigarettes weren't your drug of choice. And no. especially if you started it. So did it help you with getting your deep voice or not really? No, I, I, I still definitely don't consider this to be a, a deep voice. I mean, I'm like five, 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 six on a good day, pretty petite frame. I kind of <laughs> sound more like, you know, a little poindexter than I do, you know, a big, deep James Earl Jones type voice. You know, it's that James Earl Jones, lovely pipes on that man, not going to be in my future. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, maybe what would be healthier and maybe even cheaper and more effective is just to hire a voice coach. They might be able to help you. <laughs> I don't know. I never <laughs> thought of using cigarettes to change my voice, but I love that story. Okay. So is there anything about maintaining your weight loss that feels hard to you right now? No, but it was not always that way it gets easier with time. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing um, was kind of having, navigating the waters of what to do when you're out in in certain situations um, and and being tempted and being around others who don't understand why you are so um, strict with your diet um, and just having to answer all of those questions. And so you feel pressured by that initially. But what I found is that there's a great deal of strength that comes with that pressure in that if you can deal with it and not cave and continue to honor your new healthy body, um, then you will walk away feeling so empowered and so um, you just have this belief that, yeah, this time it is different. This time I'm not going to yo-yo. This time I'm going to keep the weight off. And so then when people actually start to recognize that and how serious you are, they stop offering and they start asking serious questions about, well, what are you doing? What do you know that I don't? How could I improve my diet? And that's the coolest thing in the world. 
but that does take some time and it definitely takes some getting used to because we're so used to just, oh, you have nuts. Let me get a whole bunch of these, you know, honey roasted peanuts over there. Oh, what's this? You have Swedish meatballs. Let me get a bunch of that. Cheese balls. I love cheese balls. Let me have all of that. Oh my goodness, potato chips. Ah, let me eat them all, right? So we're so used to that mentality. But then once you're able to break free of that and just tap into your inner strength and become comfortable with that, that's when everything changes. Yeah. So it's like whenever you make the choice to follow your path, despite this outside pressure, it's like doing weights, you know, you're doing reps, you're strengthening that muscle that keeps you committed. And it also gives you self-efficacy for the next time, you know, that muscle gets stronger and you, you have this confidence. I'll be able to next time stay on path as well. That's really yep. good information. Yep. What feels easy to you now that would have been nearly impossible in Chuck version 1.0? Mm, boy. Um, well, I mean, the obvious would be like driving past a drive through without stopping. Um, but the, the easy thing now is not relying on um, junk food or just depending on that stuff to, to get through the day. Not, and I'm not just talking about fast food. I'm talking about the readily available um, fried food, junk food that is just so prevalent. It's just everywhere. And, and so like being able to just walk right past that and not even really get too much of a craving for it. Like it's so fleeting every now and again, every few months I'll get a craving for something wild, but um, it's, it's just so easy to stay focused on, on eating healthy now. Um, and you talk about a switch getting flipped. Like, I think that if I were to eat a Dorito, I would probably want to vomit. I don't think it would taste very good to me anymore. Certainly if I were to go to Taco Bell now and I were to eat a grilled stuffed beef burrito, I would probably want to throw up because all I'm sure I would be able to taste would be the fat and the grease. And instead of it being this rich, rewarding yumminess, it would be the most repulsive, greasy, disgusting concoction in the history of the world to me. So that's that's how it becomes easy. And we think that when we begin these diets, how can I ever live with this? But if you st live without it, but then if you stick with it, you know, it's like, how did I ever live with it? You know, y you do change. And so it becomes easier um, just to, to deal with your cravings. And that's so hard and, and honestly scary for so many people at the onset of these diets is how can I live without this? How can I live without that? Um, and then once you realize that you can and you're better off for it, man, that's a good day. That's a very good day. Yeah. But you're talking about something that I think is key and a lot of people don't realize is this neuroadaptation. I mean, you had been eating these hypercaloric, hyper palatable foods like your whole life, basically. I don't think your palate had ever been free of them. And so now it's been a decade and you're right. Your brain has changed. Your taste buds have changed and you can taste the whole natural food and how delicious it is. And one thing that you didn't mention about Taco Bell is that it has an extreme amount of salt, like crazy. <laughs> like that's probably the first thing you would taste. Like this is incredibly way too salty. And you've probably adapted to lower levels of salt and of course, fat in your food. So that's the good part. And I think if more people knew that and realized that, that yeah, at first, it's not going to taste at all like these foods you love. 
But as your taste buds turn over, as your brain adapts to these flavors, then eventually someday you're just like, you know what, this actually tastes really good. You know, it's not going to yep. be like this crazy hyper palatable experience that you're used to, but it's it's going to be satisfying. Um, yep. But also yep. it's going to help you feel good, which I think is key too, is tuning in to how you feel. Yep. I'm yep. just curious, do you ever have like Taco Bell nightmares? Like, do you ever have dreams that you're back in Taco Bell eating your $20 order and you wake up and you're like, no, does that ever happen to you? <laughs> I, I have, um, and, and it is it is pretty jarring um, because I think it, it would have been so easy to go back down that road. Um, and had I given in and, and just had this surgery become just another failed diet, you know, I think I probably would have been dead. And so mm. those, those dreams are, are more like nightmares. And, um, it, the real, the reality of it though, it's, it's not just a dream thing. The reality of it is that so many people live that nightmare because you do come to this, this point where you, you reach a fork in the road, right? And, and you can go left and you can keep on down that healthier path or you can turn right and go right back to the drive-through and all of these unhealthy habits just come rushing back and take over your life once again. And so that's where so many people get tripped up. And so when I talk to people and they ask me about that, I always come back to the fork in the road and I use that analogy because man, when you hit that fork in the road and you have that choice to make, even if you are really craving it, if, if your brain hasn't quite switched over and, and you still think that you really want that fast food, it's so important that you turn left instead of turning right and going back to where it was that you were um, because the craving will pass. But if you go back to where it was that you were, you're going to have to start all over again and quite possibly in a worse position than you were in the first place. Yes. That's important. The craving will pass. It's just like probably 90 seconds at the most when you get these chemicals, these fleeting chemicals in our brain. But it's so important to know that these habits that we have formed, whether it was 20 years ago, you know, especially since it was for so long, the tracks are deep. Those tracks are still there. You've laid new track. You've developed new habits also important a lot of us have but if we go back to that old track there's still going to be a groove there it's going to be yep. so easy to just continue on that path so that's so important to point out well i would love to know what you would do if you had a magic wand and could make your wildest dreams come true hopefully this is not too much of a dangerous question to ask but remember <laughs> this is family friendly <laughs> What would you do well, if you had a magic wand and could make I your wildest dream come true? I would go to Vegas too? and uh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, so honestly, like this is going to seem kind of like a a, a cop out answer, but it's not. Is in a lot of ways, I feel like I am living my dreams. Um, if I had that that magic wand, I would wish to be able to do this on an even larger level and help even more people along because it is so selfish to try to keep this feeling to yourself. You want others to experience it. You want others to have this happiness and this feeling of self-empowerment and, and, and the realization that they are so much more powerful than they ever realized. And they don't have to be a slave to the drive-through, mm -hmm. right? They can live their own life that is free of all of that 
garbage that they have been just shoveling in their mouth mindlessly for so many years. But it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to continue with that toxic relationship. You already have the power within you to make a change. So just tap into that power. And I wish if I had that magic wand, that's all I would wish for is to be able to help more people on an even bigger level. I love it. And I love your heart. So thank you so much. Kind of similar, but what do you wish more people knew? I wish people knew more about the relationship with, with food and, and were able to take a step back and, and actually realize it. Um, and I wish people realized, okay, you know what? Let me give you a different answer. Let's go down a different road. All right. You're Let's getting one off the cuff here. I wish that more doctors knew about this. And this is why I love you and why I'm so excited to be on your program, because so many of your colleagues still don't truly grasp the magnitude of the pickle that we are in here when it comes to nutrition. And this is by no fault of the medical profession whatsoever. I'm just saying it's time for some eyes to open. Case in point, after I had lost probably about 220, 230 pounds, my bariatric surgeon looks at me and he's like, Chuck, it's time to eat a hamburger. Now, mind you, this is still years, years before I ever dabbled in a plant-based diet, years before I knew what being vegan meant. But I knew fundamentally what this man had just said to me was absolutely bad s crazy. And so here he is giving me a prescription, a freaking prescription for the drive-through. And he doesn't have a clue that essentially he just put crack back in the palm of a crack addict. Now, I took his prescription and I ripped it up and I threw it in the trash. But there are so many patients who are like, oh, the doctor says I need to eat a hamburger. I need to eat a hamburger. And then they give in. And the doctor has no idea of the consequences that come with that hamburger. They're going to light up the brain like a Christmas tree and re I mean, light the flame under that addiction hotter than it has ever been before. And they are going to be right back in the doctor's office needing a second surgery. That is really, really, really what I want more than anything. What I want, I wish people would know. I wish that more people knew about the power that food has and the connection it has with the brain, not just the belly. Yes. Ugh, so powerful. And you're right. What a slippery slope. And thank goodness you knew that that was bad advice for you, especially you knew, no, I can't do that doctor. <laughs> I can't do that <laughs> unless you want to pay for your kid's college, you know, that maybe then, yeah. but, yeah. um, and I don't really think doctors think that way. I really do think doctors are trying their best, but there is a lot of misunderstanding. And I think, you know, I I've grappled myself. I'm just going to be honest. I've grappled myself with food addiction and what it really means, what it is. And I've been on both sides passionately. Yes, it's a thing. No, it's not a thing. And the reason is, is because I think our brain is so complex, but now I'm realizing I think it's a spectrum. And I think that's why it's confusing. There are some people that literally could just, they don't ever have to go to fast food and they may be overweight for other reasons. And then there are some people like you that you were addicted to these foods. So, but as more research is done, we're going to 
learn more information. We're going to learn more about the brain and it's coming. It's definitely coming. And I hope that more doctors will pay attention and take it seriously and be very careful with the advice that they give. So thank you yep. so much for that. Well, Chuck, I know that we could talk forever. Before I ask where we can connect with you, quickly tell us what personal habit of yours you are most proud of. Uh, the fact that I cook the majority of my own food now, as opposed to relying on uh, getting it from, from restaurants. Um, you know, just knowing that I, I know, like, <laughs> my habit now uh, happens to be uh, baby carrots and hummus and roasted Brussels sprouts. Like I, I love that. Like with so much passion, as much as I ever did with Taco Bell. So, um, that that is truly my healthy habit. You know that, and just getting up and and walking. You know, I still get a kick out of the fact that I can walk a mile without having to stop. You know, or run a mile without having to stop. So, um it's, it's just, it's not one habit. Like that's a tough one. That's a tough question that you just asked. That may be the hardest one of the, the entire conversation, man. It's not one habit. It's, it's this entire lifestyle change, um, that I, I am absolutely most proud of and being able to reinvent myself physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, professionally, just on so many levels, truly becoming version 2.0. Like I'm so proud of that. But then also being able to use that journey and everything that it took to get here to help others along the way. That is what I'm most proud of. Yes. Uh, I love it. So beautiful. Where can my listeners connect with you? Where can they find your work, your podcast, everything? Well, it just so happens if you have Spotify or Apple podcast or really any podcast provider, um, just look for the exam room by the physicians committee. We drop two episodes a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So go ahead and subscribe to that. Get an opportunity to talk to so many cool people who have had their own health transformations. Um, and a lot of the leading researchers and doctors who are leading the plant-based uh, movement as well and getting the opportunity to talk a whole lot of nerdy science there, um, which is a whole heck of a lot of fun and then uh, we also have uh, on the physicians committee's youtube channel and facebook page we put up uh, episodes mondays wednesdays and fridays so five days a week we're giving you the opportunity to raise your health iq with us so i do hope that you do come and, and learn and, and get inspired in the same way that you are right now by listening to to dr yami Yes. And I've had the privilege and the honor of being on both the exam room live and on the podcast. So much fun. I'm just going to say this just in case the universe ever opens up the opportunity for a co-host. Just call me. Okay. I'll move <laughs> to DC. So much fun. It, it's just so cool that you're able to combine your experience with journalism and radio and health and wow what a gift to to do something so fun it looks like you guys have a blast so thank you so much for all that you do last you thing welcome. leave us with one call to action what is one thing we can do this week to improve our lives take stock of where you are uh think about how you feel uh with the food that you eat you don't have to change what it is that you're eating this week just really take a second as as you're chewing and think about how it is you're feeling um by eating that meal what what emotions is that drawing and are you drawn back to this food the next day and the next day and is that food healthy start thinking about how your food actually makes you feel and then 
you can talk about what changes you may want to make. So just get in tune uh, with how you feel. And then once you really have a good understanding of how your food is affecting you as much physically as it is mentally, that's when you can start to orchestrate a, a plan, craft that out and really implement some lifelong changes that will just pay huge dividends down the road. I love it. And you know that I would love that one because I'm very into mindfulness, tuning in, feeling what it is inside your body. I feel like we do have that internal wisdom that can help guide us if we only give it a chance to do that. Chuck, thank you. You've been so generous with your time and your story and your heart and your compassion. I appreciate you so much. And I know that you will be having a very fantastic day. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day.